Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. talking about the UN sex selective abortions in Canada and elsewhere in the world. Matea Murda is a thank you Jay Bader for the intro is the global policy and advocacy advisor at campaign life coalition and a pro family rep at the United Nations and uh, involved with conservative Christians on campus. Matea, how are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Jim. Awesome. I really, how are you? I'm okay. Um, it's some strange times, and I don't think I'm special in the fact that, you know, people are suffering right now. I um, equate it to a blanket of pain that's covering everyone. Some people react differently to having internal pain or physical pain or mental or emotional pain or spiritual pain or lack of connectedness. So I'm feeling it like everyone else is, maybe not as bad as some. Um, you know, I don't have children, that kind of uh, dependency, but... Uh, I'm I'm doing okay. It's a, it's a strange time, and I will tell you, my heart absolutely breaks for the children walking to school by themselves, covered in a mask over their breathing apparatus. It just breaks my heart. And you know, the weather's starting to break. I was seeing a hundred percent compliance outdoors alone, but everyone walking. And yesterday, you know, a girlfriend of mine who uh, is kind of like, not my girlfriend, but one of my best friends, we went to the beach last night for the sunset. There's a poor, lonely soul girl walking in the water of the beach in her, you know, it's not the warmest out, but mask on. No. And I'm just, (laughs) my heart breaks for the stupidity of humanity. No one will do any research. No one's looking at any data. They're just doing what the government tells them. And when I see Uh children mask, I want to 
uh, it makes me violent. <laughs> Not literally, wow. but it makes me rage, and I, you know, I'm sensitive to that. So uh, that's a little, mm. little bit about where I'm at. How you, how are you doing anyway? Great. Uh, for the most part, again, like just like you, it is a strange time. Um, but things are things are good. I cannot I cannot complain with the situation I am in. Um, I'm living, I'm breathing, I'm eating, I get to have a warm shower every day. So I, and I have clothes on my back. So, um, and I'm with family now. I was separated from my family um, earlier this, earlier last year, rather, when the pandemic first broke out and I was stuck in the US for, for a couple of months. So I'm grateful to be with my family. It, it taught me the appreciation of that connectedness of having physical touch and um, human conversation, not over a phone, but face to face. So I'm mm. grateful to be with my family. Uh, I just came out of a, a UN commission, the most feminist UN commission that ever, ever happens truly um, probably worldwide. So that was something else. I can definitely delve into that later on, but um, preparing now for the next commission, which is at the end of April, which is the commission on population and development very, very uh, draconian and, and a kind of a creepy commission, but nonetheless very important to be at. And then we have the March for Life, which is happening in Ottawa in May. So I'm also helping out with that, going to be one of the hosts and doing hosting lots of interviews at this point. So lots is going on. Um, but more importantly, I'm getting to reconnect with old friends and cool. and make new ones along the way. So this, this period of time has been really interesting. It's, it's shifted a lot of people away from who they used to associate with a lot of division has occurred and so uh new friends are always being made and so i, I appreciate that F fellow freedom fighters essentially who who love life and love humanity enough to stick their necks out there so been connecting with a lot of them wow. in saskatchewan and alberta and all across the country um even globally so it's it's been an interesting time hmm. now previously i've uh confessed to you that I'm a recovering lefty. I've been red-pilled over the last five years. Uh, my last uh, Green Party election, I think, was in 2016. So that's not a long time to, to have the new glasses on. Uh, I think I've matured quite a bit. I think my opinions are more reasoned and researched than when I was 24 years old and ideologically bound by my body, my choice up until birth. Or mm. if you look into the guy in Virginia, even after birth, like what, you know, I just can't believe that yeah. somebody would have that type of idea. And then so in my slow red pilling, I've come more moderate, more middle, more conservative from the standpoint that uh, I don't think that more gun laws are going to make safer communities. I'm not my body, my choice up until nine months. And then. Before I was completely red pill, I realized I didn't know this. Canada doesn't have an abortion law. Well, this is one of the most. Now the feminists will say, you know, this is not a political issue. We don't. We don't want to talk about abortion. No, you don't want to talk about it because there's no law that stops you from doing anything. And I get the, you know the devil's advocate that says, wow, that late term stuff, it doesn't, it's so rare, it doesn't happen. And then I see your post the other day, sex selective abortions in Canada? No. That can't, I've heard of that in other parts of the world where females are just disregarded. They're not yeah. valued 
They're not important. And culturally, there are certain cultures that just say, no, we don't want a girl. And I went, oh, man. You know, I've been meaning to reconnect with you because it's about time. Like, I find you really grounding, informative, and educate. I think you provide an education for some people that don't know. So I've come to the position of, I just don't want to see late-term stuff anymore. (laughs) I'm not not under the delusion that I'm going to end abortion. Just like we're not going to end poverty or mental illness or we're not never going to stop someone from going and shooting up a school. We're going to have these things that happen no matter what. And so I'm not under the delusion that I'm going to end abortion. I mean, that could be a higher goal, I suppose. But no, I'm not there. I just don't want to see the late term stuff. And I think that most of us would agree if you looked at it. The majority middle is about 95, 98%. So we flip-flop conservative to liberal as far as voting patterns. And we share mostly the same values. And I think you can get that 98% of people to agree that, you know, aborting a baby after six months should not be allowed. And then, and Crowder does this well, if you're a part up here, then go back to where you agree. Where can we find common ground? And I think that's a point where even the most ardent pro-choicers will say, yeah, the late-term stuff, no, that shouldn't happen. Just like it shouldn't happen after they're born. <laughs> you know, you should be able to take a life after they're born. But if you listen to Northern, that's, well, we talk to the mother and we talk to the doctors and we decide what to do after we kept the infant comfortable, comfortable. for a while. Um, and then just to finish that up, I think the most reasonable people would actually back up to 90 days and go, yeah, if, you know, okay, you want to abort the baby, fetus, as most call it in that, then, yeah, just do it in the first 90 days and then we don't have any problems. So uh, that's a long way of saying, you know, I don't think I'm going to, you know, end abortion, but I would, uh, you know, why is ending abortion after six months so um, radical? an extreme it's not well it's not but truthfully so i'll tell you a quick little story at this u.n commission i just finished it was fascinating because in the general populace i find a lot of camaraderie with with feminists who are actually against late-term abortion or sex selective abortion but Anytime I brought up either of those topics uh, at this commission, I got mercilessly attacked because abortion at the end of the day is what is so intricately linked according to the small minority who controls the majority. Abortion is intricately linked to what it is to be a feminist. And that's and, and it's the OGs of the feminist movement. That's not what it is, but we're second, third wave feminists um, when you're dealing with them, this is the pinnacle of what it is to be a feminist. So when you're dealing with the general populace, they don't find it, they find it extremely controversial in Canada anyway, that we would have zero abortion laws. Majority people have no idea. They believe that we have abortion. um, You can only get abortions up until 20 weeks. And some people believe it's only up until 16 weeks. And so there's a huge education that needs to happen on uh, across the board when it comes to to elevating this topic in the public sphere 
because people truly are clueless. I, I know individuals who up until a year ago who are in my life, until I posted something about abortion, uh, lack of abortion laws in Canada rather, they had no idea. So for me, it's, it's truly been about educating my own circle, my own sphere of influence. Um, but when it comes to individuals, I often, I've worked on Parliament Hill with cabinet ministers. And so when it comes to the political sphere and people telling me, whether they're inside or outside of the political realm, that abortion is not political. Well, the fact that we take tax dollars and abortion is paid for by the taxpayers of Canada, uh, that makes it political in and of itself. And not only do we pay for it here domestically, but we're shipping millions up to, by 2023, we're gonna have an annual budget of $1.3 billion just for what we for what they term sexual and reproductive health and rights, which I'll refer to as SRHR, just save a bunch of time. But SRHR encompasses abortion, free and on demand, which means at any point in time during pregnancy, uh, contraceptives, as well as what we deem comprehensive sexuality education, which is very explicit and we can get into it at another point. But we are funding our government is funding, which means that the Canadian taxpayers are funding abortion everywhere. And I was in a meeting with uh, Minister of International Development, Karina Gould, I believe it was just a week, week and a half ago. And an Argentinian individual who's a, a radical feminist in my eyes, who's very pro-abortion, not just pro-choice, she's very pro-abortion, was applauding Canada for having no abortion laws. And this is what the world, the world is looking at Canada as the blueprint of what we should all be doing globally. And so we need to have no abortion laws. We need to make sure that the taxpayers are funding it. And we need to make sure that this is all about the release that the public is buying, the lie, but the talking point that it's my body, my choice, that it's women's empowerment, and that this is how we achieve gender equality. And so when it comes to Canada, there are so many different things happening. We know from reports that over, I believe it was a five to seven year time frame, that almost 500 babies were born alive post-abortion. So it's a failed abortion attempt on their life. And they were born alive and left to die. Wow. Now, and when it comes, and, and this is the thing, we don't even know the extent, the full extent of how many abortions are happening in Canada. Late term, infanticide, uh, sex selective, because doctors, Doctors, uh, medical facilities, etc., do not have to report their abortion numbers. Now, some do, but many don't have to, like Quebec, for example. So, it's it's very bizarre um, what's happening. And when it comes to the political sphere, I'm only too acutely aware that individuals within every party are pro-life, but are systematically silenced. And that, that sounds strange because when you run for the Liberals or the NDP, you're not allowed to be pro-life or at least espouse of your pro-life beliefs. But they're there and they're sympathetic, especially when it comes to sex-selective abortion, which I find is, is very, um, people say it's controversial, but it's really not because it predominantly targets baby girls. Uh, it does target baby boys as well, but predominantly girls. And in a society, especially with in Canada, with a government who deems itself to be feminist, uh, you would think that you would want to, you know, cut out any discrimination, regardless of its form or where it appears in society. And this is something that we're dealing with in Canada. So 
MP Kathy Wagenthal from Yorkton, Melville. She she is a conservative member of parliament, but she has sponsored bills like Cassie and Molly's Law, which was not a pro-life bill, but was a bill in which um, if a pregnant woman was killed, it would be deemed as a, as a double murder. So two people die in that case, but the government shut that bill down. And so you can't even get into the criminal code that if you kill a pregnant woman, regardless of the stage of pregnancy that she's at, whether she's nine months, six months, or three months, that is still only one death committed, or sorry, one murder committed. And so MP Wagenthal has now brought up another law, and it's, it's um, Bill C-233. And it's all about sex active abortion. And it's, it's interesting because as I talk to people about this bill, and I hosted a, an event at the UN just this past week on with her a part of the paddle, people were shocked that this even happens in Canada. Nonetheless, that we don't have any kind of regulatory protections for girls, predominantly for girls, from being targeted for annihilation. And so as we talk about these subjects more and more, we're informing people. And that's the whole point. Um, my reach is primarily into the political sphere, but also I'm getting more and more into the grassroots, which I, I love the grassroots because they're, they're where the work, real work gets done. Everybody thinks it's all the work needs to be done in the legislative buildings through policy. And that's very important. And I understand that. But when you actually understand that you have to influence culture first, and that's where the policies come from. Because nowadays, par parliament, governments are basically run by lobbyist groups. Like if we're honest with ourselves and working with my counterparts in Washington, DC, this happens all the time. Policies are crafted by lobbyists, not by the officials themselves. It's a rare day when it happens in reverse. So we're all about educating culture. We're all about reaching out and getting people just like you. You had you didn't know about sex selective abortion, and yet it's a it's very prevalent. Um, Reggie Littlejohn has this amazing group. She she goes. She's the only individual I know of that has a group that actually goes into China and helps widows, very elderly widows, but also women who want to keep their babies, regardless if they're male or female. But if they get if they get a, a test back that they're having a girl, they're most likely going to abort. Now, China no longer has a one-child policy. And that's kind of been swept under the rug as if they don't have stringent policies on limiting their population still. They still do. They have a two-child policy. And so what happens is sex-selective abortion is actually amplified in their culture. Because if you have a baby girl first, then you are going to want a boy. Or if you have a boy first, you're going to probably want another boy child. So it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that sex selective abortion is cut out of the equation. In fact, it's actually amplified through a two child policy. And the brutality of what happens in in India and now India has um, prohibited and criminalized any kind of action to commit a sex selective abortion and i applaud them in that but there needs to be stringent enforcement efforts of that and that brings us back to what mp wagenthal is doing so her bill targets primarily individuals who physicians who would knowingly commit a sex selective abortion because you have to sign off you have to have documentation and so 
many people ask, well, how would you enforce that? And so I would encourage anybody asking more questions to go and peek at her bill. Um, and she has lots of information. Lots of talks have been done with her on that. But we need to, if we're really going to be a society which values men and women, if we're really going to be a society which elevates gender equality above all else, because that's seemingly what feminists in our government want, it's not just about equal pay, it's about making us the same as men, which is, is nowhere near what a true equality is. <laughs> that's, that's scary we're to me. We're not equal, for crying out we're, loud. We're Stop not pretending equal, we're nor we do are. I, as a woman, want to be equal to a man. I want a man to be stronger. I want him to have different capabilities than me. If we're all the same, we're just one huge blob of nothingness. Mm. Like, we're just all doing the same things. We're never going to progress as a society. And if we want to progress... If we want to see human rights upheld, if we want to see true equality achieved, we have to put in place policies and, and inform the culture, the general populace, of what equality actually is. Because the small minority that's controlling the majority right now sees equality as sameness. And we have to get that message across. Because I actually want policies that foster my God-given abilities as a woman and your God-given abilities as a man, and for those capabilities to be elevated, not diminished, so that we're, we're pounded down into the same flat pancake, and we can't ever uh, um, encourage each other or challenge one another. Because that's, if you, if you, if you have, are in a marriage or if you've been in a relationship, you understand that a healthy relationship, you're gonna challenge one another based upon the things that you might see and in, 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 your, in your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, girlfriend, heck, I do it with my brothers all the time, where there's something that needs to change so that they are better at being a better version of themselves because that's going to impact positively in their sphere of influence. And so if, we're, if we don't have that understanding as policymakers um, or even as the general populace, then we're just going to keep feeding this perpetual cycle of equality in the form and terms of what the small minority believes it to be. So that's that's my rant right there. But um, <laughs> uh, I, I really I do value uh, a lot of the work that's being done in Canada with regards to um, many groups and individuals even sticking their necks out and being willing to to stand up for truth or what true equality is without what authentic um, empowerment is when it comes to women and girls. And those voices, now that there's, there's a threat, there's, there's always been a threat, but people are just seeing it because the curtain's being pulled back. Mm -hmm. And so I, I value the fact that there's many people who are willing to sacrifice so much in order to, in order to educate, because that's the battle we're in right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, two things you know with this whole shout your abortion thing you know yeah i it makes me think of i'm not comparing women to dogs but you take young puppies from a mother she mourns yeah and i wonder if it's not a uh buried denial of mourning to come out and be so so prolific and so adamant about shout your abortion and i'm not sure that that works for everyone but i truly feel that if you take a living being from a 
a mother that is, you know, growing that being that there's going to be emotional repercussions. So when you get a comment on that and also, you know, I wonder, do you ever have success at pointing to the hypocrisy of the feminist that is in favor of my choice and seeing, not seeing the hypocrisy of murdering, killing, ending the life of women. You know, I equate it, and this is, you know, not for shock value, but the same people that preach pro-choice are demonstrating out front of Marineland against animal captivity. I just, I can't get that. Like, how do you put, yeah, I'm against animal captivity too, but I'm not, you know, I don't have the hypocrisy of saying, you know, yeah, we should end babies whenever you feel like it. So two parts, you know, are you ever successful at getting through to people and pointing to their hypocrisy? And isn't it natural that mothers are going to mourn the loss of life? And do you think that that's what brings them so adamantly to this place of don't take away my rights you know yeah yeah so for the first question it there is a lot of mourning a lot a lot of women um it's been proven that in suicide increases depression increases um having different eating disorders they start to occur um when women do have abortions and that that truly for me breaks my heart because i know many of these women young and old and that's why we we as the pro-life movement we actually value women enough to say even if you have an abortion we still see you as a whole person but we want we see we understand that you don't feel that way because you're you've been put on antidepressants you're anorexic now and you we it's very visible that you're hurting so let's get to the root issue of why you're hurting and that's why we have set up so many post-abortive um, healing centers and retreats like Rachel's Vineyard, for example. And we want to see women flourish. We want to see families and men flourish. And so it is true. Yes, there's a lot of grief that happens. Um, but a lot of that, like you said, it is shoved down. It, when you're trying to express um, guilt, Sometimes people express it in different ways. Not everybody's going to go say, shout my, I'm going to go and shout my about my abortion because it traumatized me and it hurt me. Um, I know a woman who, a young lady, actually, she, I won't give it, I guess I won't give her out her age, but she was very proud of her abortion. And she went out to many rallies in support of having full and free access to abortion. And it wasn't until about, it was about six, six-ish years later that she was having a conversation with a young, another young pro-life woman. And she realized that, wow, like I have been out shouting about this. I've been so proud about killing my own child because it was my child. And now I actually need healing, I, but I recognize that now. And she's sorry that she ever even maybe encouraged other young girls, young women to go and have abortions. And so it is true. Just like when you, if I'm a Christian, how I deal with sin, 
I run to my, to my father, to my God, and I repent. But if I don't do that, I will try everything to suppress that feeling of guilt until I get to that place where I know that I can find restoration and healing. And so that's how I'd answer the first question is yes, people do, people do, um, unfortunately shout their abortion because they are guilty. They feel that guilt and shame, but there is healing for anybody watching this. There is healing restoration that can happen. And for the second question around making any headway with feminists, yes, uh, the ones, the ones that I deal with on a regular basis who also deal with work at the UN like I do, they're very difficult. They're, they're extremely difficult to deal with because they have completely bought in the lie that abortion is what makes me a feminist. Being pro-abortion is, is everything to me. Even they elevate that above their label of feminist. So their identity really, is wrapped up in that one issue only. Without that issue, their identity has gone. They have nothing. Exactly. So that, that's why they because that's so the much. equator, right? That's what makes them the same as men. Um, because when you have free and full abortion, abortion on demand, you can have casual sex. And it doesn't matter. It really does matter because you're taking into account, you, you don't take into account rather when you're having casual sex that you might end up being pregnant and as the woman and you have to carry that child. So in order to achieve equality, we should have the ability to have that casual sex and then to eliminate the product of that. So it, it's something that you brought up the, you know, animals, for example, um, the same individuals who are shouting their abortion, who are very pro-feminist are out there chanting, um, save the whales, save the dolphins. And that's something because that's when what we're, what we're seeing really is a byproduct of what's happening in the school and the education systems and how humanity is painted as, as evil, as bad for the society, as bad for the planet. And we need to save the animals. So animals in turn have been humanized and humanity has de been dehumanized. And that's something that where I, that's yet another reason why I tell people you need a homeschool because you don't even know the extent as to why children are, you know, I just had a parent come to me, a mother and a father. They came to me and they were, Matea, I don't know what's going on with my child. They're talking about, they gave, basically gave all the talking points to their parents one night at dinner and they, the parents were just dumbfounded because they didn't understand where this was coming from. They never taught their child this, but it was all indoctrination from the school system. And so this extends beyond just, you know, Greenpeace. This, be, this goes all the way into um, being raising pro-abortion, little pro-abortion advocates. And that's what the education system is doing nowadays. So we have to we have to help under people understand even when it comes to late term abortion that that's the same child that's being if, if that child was was say 10 weeks old 20 weeks old nine months old that's the same child that you're killing regardless of the stage in which right. it is being murdered its potential so, is the same too the potential, the potential doesn't change from one day exactly. to nine months. It's still a potential life to be great. And uh, we're killing geniuses and really powerful women 
you know, it's, it's true. Like, look at, for example, um, I know this is a male example, two male examples I'll give, but there are females as well. Um, Justin Bieber, his mom was encouraged to have an abortion. She almost had an abortion. Wow. As well as, um, Mozart, his mom tried aborting him. Wow. She, she took the tea, she tried it. And, um, because she didn't want to have this child, which turned out to be Mozart. <laughs> and and people mock me all the time for using the, these examples, but I'm telling you, who are we aborting? If you're a woman and you're considering abortion, who who is your child? Who could your child be? Because that is your child. And you are there, you're already a mother and already a father the moment that you conceive. So you have the ability to raise the next president. You have the ability to raise the doctor who's going to fight breast cancer. You have you you have these abilities and capabilities already in you. And if you're if you're already pregnant with a child, the child already has a life. There's already life there. So it's it's very sad as a society, especially for in Canada, that so many are unwilling to even touch this subject, um, regardless of political strife because we are killing nearly 100,000 babies every year. And that's devastating when you understand what abortion really is. Like abortion is not just tearing limbs from a child in the womb or snipping their neck for a late-term abortion and sucking out their brains because that's the reality of what abortion is. Abortion is also taking an abortive pill early on in pregnancy and starving your child so that they pass through your system. That's, you're starving your child so that they die. How is that compassionate or merciful? When, when we, we tell women, Canadian women, that it's, we're, we love you so much, we're gonna be so compassionate to you and loving towards you that we're gonna give you a pill to say, kill your child because we don't believe that you're capable enough to have a career and raise a family. So there needs to be a lot more discussion around this subject and a lot more compassion and love because so often, I know I've been painted in a very negative light and others in my, in my UN coalition in various spheres, pro-life and pro-family spheres here in Canada and elsewhere where we're painted as women haters. No, we're the ones who take care of the women before they give birth. And if they have an abortion, we're the ones who go and, and help them and love on them. And, and help them get jobs and take care of their children if they do choose to take to choose to carry through their pregnancy. We're the ones who go and love these people, not the other side. The other side wants money and to retain power in parliament. That's all they care about. Mm. Time and again, it all comes down to the money and feeding into that perpetual cycle does not benefit women. It benefits men in the end. But also when you say, when I say that, I also say that knowing that at the end it doesn't benefit men because it, it, it harms their character. So yeah, that, that was, those would be my, my answers plus a small tangent on the side as, <laughs> I love your, as your question. Matea, I really appreciate, I don't know if you've ever been told this, but you are an educator, you're a teacher. Do you know that? Are you aware of that? That you are just no, a natural leader. I have not been told that. You are a teacher. My grandmother and my mother, God bless her souls, used to tell me, Jimmy, you missed your calling. You should have been a teacher. And 
You know, it always was a negative way of saying, you know, you haven't really reached your true potential. And it took mm. me a while uh, before I was like, I am a teacher. Like, just because I don't teach children in school and paid as a teacher, I am a teacher. That's all I do. I do it in the political realm as a candidate. Mm -hmm. I do it in my men's group, you know, even though I consider myself to be the guy on Pablum because my men's group is a Christian group. And I, <laughs> I mean, come on, I'm a, I'm a horrible <laughs> Christian. I just, you know, I try to be better all the time, but it's diff it's a difficult walk when you're accountable to that one that sees all. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit, but I want to get back to the Canadian situation on sex selective abortions. For sure. Um, in you, I see an educator. I see someone that is a natural leader, a powerful woman, beautiful, well-spoken. Um, in the political realm, we need that as a candidate. And uh, I, know, I know where you're going I with this. I know this. you're really, uh, you, well, you might be surprised. I know you're busy, um, but is there a political party in Canada that you can identify with now? <sighs> That's really hard, to be honest, because my faith, my faith was the thing that actually drew me it shaped my policy decisions and it still does and it's benefited me beyond belief so when it comes to a political party not really um in canada anyway i i know i used to work with a conservative member of parliament and i'm still friends with many um I was born and raised in Saskatchewan, and I know many individuals in cabinet here as well, as well as in caucus. But I really, I really don't identify. I, I identify as a conservative, um, but not a part of the Conservative Party of Canada anymore. And that's and that's very sad to say. Um, even when there was a, a soft social conservative in charge of the Conservative Party of Canada, Andrew Scheer. Um, I, to be honest, I never voted for Andrew Scheer on my ballot for leadership of the Conservative Party, nor did I vote in Aaron O'Toole. And both have proven to be very, um, I don't want to say disastrous, but harmful to the Conservative movement in Canada. Disappointing, for sure. Very, very disappointing. And not only that, we need a strong opposition and we need a strong second party to keep the ruling party in check, both when they have a majority or minority government, but also to keep them accountable at election time. And mm -hmm. I feel like the today's conservatives are absolutely handing Justin Trudeau a majority mandate, even though so many people, half the country, I don't want to say hate, but they're not voting Justin Trudeau in. And with our election laws the way they are, you know, you can achieve a majority government with 37% of the popular vote, i.e. Stephen Harper, who I wasn't a fan of. Now I kind of miss because uh, at least he had some strong leadership. Yeah, he did some a lot of things I disagreed with environmentally, especially. And, uh, and, and democratically, he wasn't, you know, the most transparent and open. Um, and I don't want to turn this into a plug, but... 
if you were active, geez, I know guys that were active in getting Justin Trudeau elected as leader of the party. Mm-hmm. And what a disappointment it's that he's been to those people that had to abandon the Liberal Party. And um, same comes with uh, Max Bernier. You know, mm-hmm. there was 49% of the conservative. If you were active in the conservative leadership race, you could mm-hmm. not miss Max Bernier. And he was right up into the 13th ballot. He was leading and he had the support of 49% of the party. And, yeah. you know, I've really ragged on Max because I've interviewed him a few times. And and I, I will compare you to, to him in the way that politically he doesn't care about polls he's not interested in what's popular his position on any specific issue whether it be guns and he's at least given his candidate he's he's not taking a a pro-life pro-choice stance in his uh federal platform he's saying you're my candidate if you are respectful and you 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 adhere to these four key principles then mm-hmm. do what you want. And I think he had a girl that's maybe transitioned over to the Christian Heritage Party, uh, but she was a strong PPC candidate. And she said, I'm running, and if I'm elected, I will bring this late-term abortion bill to the House. And he said, mm-hmm. no, I'm fine with it. Like, right. I'm not going to tell you what to do, because yeah. we see so much of Greg Vesna, a friend of mine that started the None of the Above Party, because they wouldn't put None of the Above on the ballot. Like, you've seen enough <laughs> ballots to know a really Democratic ballot has a choice at the bottom that says, I vote for none of these turkeys. And it's counted. Exactly. And in some races, believe it or not, None of the Above wins. And if that happens, then you have a new election and all of the above are disqualified from that election because they're not good enough to win, right? So yeah. um, I say all that to say, you know, I ragged on Max in our early interviews by saying, dude, why didn't you just bide your time? Wait into the wings, mm-hmm. wait in the wings till Shear was done uh-uh. and overthrow the party and wait for your time in the light rather than build this whole new party that's struggling to get 2%, you know, his goal is 5% next time. And I think he's electable in, in his riding. And if you're well-known in your riding and well-respected, miracles can happen no matter what the party. Um, I'm well-known in my riding, but I'm not all that well-liked, I don't think. Uh, and we, we, I come from a very liberal... Uh, whether they b- vote PC or not, I think the majority middle is, is liberal at heart. Um, but, you know, he just could not stand. Uh, they told him, your ideas are not welcome here. And so I wish he could have taken that 49% of the conservatives with him for membership because he'd be a force right now. And he's going to try and run a full slate next time around. But when I look at Max, he doesn't, he's not, he says, you know what, if you don't like, if you go to the website and you don't like who, who we are, don't vote for us because I'm not changing. My principles are what they are and no poll or he's still flexible on issues, but for the most part, his principles stay unchanged. And to me, man, that just speaks to an integrity that I see is so lacking in politics today. It's such a fresh breath of air as far as like, no, I don't care what you think or what's popular. I think we need a moratorium on immigration until we get the the employment situation checked out in this Canada, in this country. We don't need to increase 
legal immigration over 400,000 a year while Canadians are suffering. Yes, we need to be compassionate. But then he gets the label xenophobic, you know, racist, because he wants to close the border for a couple of years as far as immigration goes. So, Exactly. No, I, I really, I was working with, again, a conservative member of parliament who was actually in that very same leadership race and who did very well. But I understood what was going on with Maxime Bernier and many others will just say, who were in that race as well as in the conservative caucus and the conservative party hierarchy. And it, they, it was impossible. It was impossible for him to stay. And so what else is a man to do? Um, and I actually appreciate that Maxime Bernier didn't go out and smear because he could have done a really good job at just smearing the conservatives. Very good job. But he chose not to do that. He chose to be productive and do something in which he could actually elevate the voice of many Canadians through his party. So I do appreciate and I and to be honest, even more so, I don't care that there's a, a PPC party out there. I don't I don't think it's a bad thing, honestly, because they are willing to speak what the conservatives are not able to speak because many conservative party politicians are told to toe the party line. It's just a fact. And they're not, for, for however much independence you might see from conservative party members, uh, member parliaments rather, they really are on a, on a leash. Like they, they have to run everything. And I don't think that's a negative thing. They have to run everything past um, um, the party whip or the OLO, which is the official leader's official leader, excuse me, opposition leader's office. But it, it comes down to a point where you're not even able to vote your conscience sometimes. And that's a very dangerous thing. Um, no longer are you representing the people who elected you, you are representing a party. And that to me is nonsensical, especially in a so-called democracy as Canada. So I, I do appreciate Max Bernier. Um, I've met him several on several occasions. I know many PPCers. Uh, I, I live on the prairies, and so I, I'm surrounded by them, to be truthful. Mm -hmm. And they aren't crazy quacks like most people paint them to be. These are individuals who feel disenfranchised, who don't feel like they fit into the Conservative Party anymore. And the CPC has really changed, even since Stephen Harper's days. So at one point, Stephen Harper, actually my former member of parliament, Brad Trost, actually pushed this, the conservative government to defund overseas abortions. And Planned Parenthood and Marie Stopes were two of the biggest um, beneficiaries of Canadian tax dollars. And they slaughter millions. And so that was something that did occur under Stephen Harper's government, which I totally supported. And Brad Trost was the MP I worked with. And now, Aaron O'Toole said he would, during his campaign uh, for leadership, he would actually stop federal funding of overseas abortions. But all of a sudden, after he's elected, he says, oh, no, no, I won't do that. I won't touch abortion. Like, we're just going to keep the status quo. And this is a real issue with politicians that they feel emboldened even that they can do that. Because it means that the 
the grassroots is not speaking up and holding to account their elected representatives who are supposed to represent them, not a party structure, them. So I think we need to put the fear of God back into into our politicians, into our governing bodies uh, in a very diplomatic and, and well thought out, respectable way. And there's many ways of doing that. But nonetheless, we have to do that because they they feel so emboldened that they can actually wear a crown and run the country as if they're a king, um, only accountable unto themselves. And that's what we're seeing in Canada right now with with Justin Trudeau. But um, I think it would probably at some point even that could easily be said of a conservative government, too, if if gone unchecked um, and not loyal to the grassroots. So that's my two cents. Tell us a little bit about the situation in Canada as far as, you know, the, uh, again, I had no idea that you could say, oh, it's a, it's a girl. Yeah, I don't want that. You know, um, the numbers and the impact in Canada of what, you know, educate us as to what the, it, you know, the reality is on the ground, actually. So it's very difficult. Um, we know it happens. We, both myself and other members of parliament, MLAs, MPPs, have had discussions with individuals from many different ethnic and religious background, uh, individuals from different backgrounds, and they continually say that this is a huge issue, not only in their home countries, but now in, in Canada, where they have now settled. And so it's very, but it's very difficult to ascertain any kind of numbers because people don't have to report them. People don't have to say that women came, women from in BC came in in Vancouver who is of whatever descent and wants an abortion because she's having a girl or an abortion because she's having a boy. They don't have to necessarily report that. So putting into place different protection, protectionary measures is, is essential and reporting measures is really essential. And the, but of course the abortion industry finds this as a huge threat. Um, because they would have to be accountable for what they're actually doing if they're actually performing discriminatory practices and sexist uh, actions or not. And so I I can speak to maybe more of the global aspect. That's where more my expertise is. But I know what's happening in Canada um, and by higher numbers than what we could ever even probably think or imagine um, because we are becoming, we are a multicultural society and Many people label me and others in this work as racists. Um, but if we're speaking out for the vulnerable, I'm willing to wear that label because where are their voices? They have no voice. And many of these individuals don't actually want to have um, a sex-selective abortion. And I've, I've talked to a few individuals here in Canada who have had sex-selective, sex-selective abortions. Um, but they don't want to have them. They're more forced or coerced into them to carry so that they have many sons to carry on the family name um, because that's very important in many different cultures in the world. And I, I can understand that to a certain extent. Um, but at the same time, we're in Canada and we, we value all human beings. So, um, but on the global level, so the United Nations Population Fund who are control, who are one of their mandates is basically to limit the world's population. Um, have been coming around slowly to this issue, very, very slowly. Um, And 
so I'm going to shorten their name to UNFPA. So UNFPA has come out with a report that roughly 1.2 million girls annually are targeted for sex selective abortion annually. And that's astronomical in my mind um, because those numbers, and like, honestly, that's such a skewed number because of the numbers that we get on a national basis from different countries um, like China and India, that number is way, way higher. So it's probably more like one point. 1.5 million girls um, every year are killed just because they're girls. And I want to again re reiterate that yes, this still happens to boys as well. Where I'm, I do not neglect that in any way, shape, or form. But what happens is economies are drastically affected. Mental health is drastically affected. Food production is affected. It, like this goes down to the granular. Sex selective abortion affects so much of our everyday lives that we don't even recognize, especially in in places like ex China is the best example. If if they continued on on this pattern, I mean, they're already having they already have a shortage of women in their country, and men are are seeking out poor. Like there's a huge porn epidemic in in China, beyond belief. Um, mental health crises are insane women who are allowed to be or who are able to be born there's a there's a huge suicide rate in their country of women so not only are women being killed in the womb they're also killing themselves because they can't live with the pressures of of normal life because they're either hounded or there's immense pressures put on them just because they are women within their societies so this affects a lot more than just than just a so-called abortion rights, which don't exist in international law, but nonetheless they're deemed that. So I I hurt for for these countries, but nonetheless for the people in these countries anyway, not for the government, but for the people, because they're forced into these situations in which they have to then deal with, where they don't have enough women to have their sons marry. Um, their populations are suffering greatly. Suicide is on the on the rise, which affects families, um, affects brothers and sisters and grandparents. Um, women, it, it devalues women on a, in a whole. Like I stated earlier, Reggie Little John, I encourage people to go look up her work. She's now a, not just helping women choose life for their baby girls and make it affordable so that they can do that, but also for elderly widows, because women across the board are degraded in their societies and it starts in the womb and is shown on the outside. So these elderly widows are left to essentially die because women who choose not to have, um, women often choose to have baby boys instead of girls. Again, so they have sex selective abortions. And these boys are the ones who will then end up taking care of the parents, their parents. Um, later down the road when they get married. And so if you have a girl, that girl gets married to a boy and that girl is going to be of no benefit to you down the road because she is then sucked up into one family solely and is no longer really a part of your family. So th there's, there's many external factors as to why this happens. But again, if you want to have a thriving economy, if you want to see um, true equality achieved, you're going to crack down on sex selective abortion and governments, countries worldwide are, are suffering from it. I hear you being very deliberate and careful 
about your speech sometimes. I'm curious, how, what percentage of your speech do you find yourself self-censoring? Like how much are I, you so and which, what are the topics that you really have to be careful about what you say publicly? <laughs> Because, so uh, you as know, I've just delved saying it deeper be... into, yeah, as I've delved deeper into my studies and into uh, studies being my work, mm-hmm. um, I've started to understand language in a different way. So it's not that I self-censor, it's that I want to use the proper terms and words because words mean so much, th- th- their, their meaning has a lot different um, meaning to the people I might be talking to at the UN or to government leaders or policymakers, um, organizations, et cetera, than what it might mean to the general public. So for me, it's not so much self-censoring, it's it's wanting to communicate the right message in in the language um, of the individuals that I'm speaking, because at the UN, there's this whole other language than what government policymakers use, and then to what the general populace uses. So, um, but when it comes to different probably the one subject that I don't touch on often, but if I do, I might use, be very cautious and that's immigration um, because I view immigration in a very different light. But yeah, that's, that's probably the, the one, the one subject that I'm very cautious of. Otherwise I just like to use any kind of language. And if I get painted with any kind of label, I will wear it proudly because I'm doing my work. I'm, I, as a Christian, I will say I'm about my father's work and I live for an audience of one. I, I care what my family thinks of me, what my friends think of me. And that's about it. So I live with the consequences if there's any. Interesting. So, uh, political aspirations then down the road. (laughs) Everybody asks me this question. We need you. I knew it was coming somewhere. Um, I ran when I was 20 for city council and I, to be honest, I can do a lot more work without the confines of having a title of member of parliament or MLA, MPP, whatever it might have you. Um, And I'm grateful to be doing the work behind the scenes than being out in front of the cameras all the time. Um, I, I don't necessarily, I want to have a family someday. And so I don't, I don't want to necessarily be in the spotlight. I wouldn't care so much if my, if my husband was, but myself, I, I want to create a home and I want to be very intentional with my kids. And so I'm creating right now kind of the foundation, a, a network almost, um, almost unintentionally so much so, but so that I can actually be with my family. So I'm creating that structure now and um, creating even goes down to how to make passive income now so that when that time comes, um, I don't have to be in the spotlight. I don't have to be Oh man, do we lose her? think um and i say that from a very loving place because many are my are my friends and i work alongside many of them so yeah no political aspirations for me at this point awesome we uh, we lost a connection there for a little bit but so we didn't hear completely what you said but i want to um 
for me, there's not a bigger problem in North America right now than the breakdown of the family. And I think removing fatherlessness, basically. But it all comes together in a way that, you know, Nietzsche said, God is dead, we killed him, and the blood's on our hands. And then he went on to lament about, you know, the next thousand years, how we would pay for that. Mm. And in the 60s in the States, you could get welfare, but only if there was not a man in the house. And Thank so, you, Lyndon B. Johnson. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what your thoughts are on getting back the success of the traditional family that's worked millennia. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the family new unit is not new, like yeah. mother, father, and child. So yeah. in a really strange day that's being pushed by far-left ideology from what we're told in school and what we're taught in higher education and government bureaucracies, you know, there's not a day that goes by that Justin Trudeau doesn't take a shot at the patriarchy and the systemic racism that has invaded every institution in this great country. I am so tired of hearing, you know, a counselor in my hometown we talked about offline, Laura Yip, she's a regional counselor, far lefty. Um, you know, somebody I was quite friendly with when I was on the left stood at regional council and said, by virtue of the system being racist, even we anti-racists are racist by virtue of the system we grew up in. Give me an idea of what your thoughts are. Please leave me with us with a little bit of hope that it's okay to love a God. It's okay to say, you know what? The most successful setup for children is mother and father in the home. Yeah. You know, how do we get back the traditional institutions that we've murdered and the ways of life that have worked over millennia? I mean, isn't yeah. that the only thing? Isn't that the only hope we have? Because, you know, this idea that you're perfect just the way you are is such BS. You're not. You could be no. so much better. And yeah. we all know it because we all have a thousand things that are so easy to do that would make us better people that we refuse to do on a daily basis. And I think it takes a toll on our soul and our mental health. But how do we get back to traditions that have been so successful without you know, being painted as this big, bad, scary, intolerant, you know, like I think about what's normal, right? What's, mm -hmm. what's normal to me is I love women. I love the way they move, the way they talk, the way, you know, I could help elevate them if possible, if I'm in a relationship with them or even not. Like, I can't imagine being gay. In fact, if I ever try to imagine, it's just like, oh, so it's a, it's okay as a heterosexual man that that's normal to me. And I get that if right. you're gay, it might be the very same thing for you. But gay is, I'm going to get killed for saying this. 
gay is not normal from the standpoint that there's such a small portion of people in society that are gay. Yeah, we've always had them. But it's not like the majority and then trans as well. You know, this idea of a drag queen story hour for grade threes. What? I don't want. Listen, when my young daughter's eight or nine years old and she needs to have the talk, probably before boys, because there's a chance that they hit puberty before boys and very drastically obvious as to <laughs> they're a woman now. You know, right. I want to have that talk. Yeah. I don't want my school telling them that, oh, well, you you know, you don't, don't, we're not calling you boys and girls because that's labels and that's not, I mean, they're taking yeah. normal off skin care products now because it offends because, yeah. whoa, you know, you got oily and dry, but you can't have normal because normal somehow offensive normal yeah. for the time. Yeah. It's been normal to have people that have struggled with their sexuality but Absolutely. like, I mean, Milo, can you believe Milo's not gay anymore? And he's going for conversion therapy with his priest. And he's told yeah. his husband that his husband is now a housemate and he doesn't take part in sinful activity anymore. Now, Milo's nuts. I love Milo. But <laughs> I, anyways, I'm blathering now, but I really appreciate your thoughts on how we get back through to successful traditions that have that the lack of right now is ruining society and i'm fearful for where it goes if we keep telling kids and you know or we keep you know young black men in the states grow up here and cops hate you man they're they're hunting you no they're not they love you for the most part yeah there's some bad cops bad things happen but it's not always racism like, no. and that's, you know, something I'm not afraid to talk about anymore. There's a very small demographic in the United States that commits violent crimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're yeah. all men. I can say that, but they're all a certain age. You can say that, but then they're also the 50% of them are a certain skin color that don't make up the majority of the population. In fact, the opposite, there are 3% of the population or less committing 50% of the crime. So I just, uh, anyways, I'm blathering, but I really appreciate your thoughts on how we get back to tradition and successful institutions that have worked for a very long time that we're told now, oh no, you don't need a man in the house. We can be a gay female couple and our, our, our kids are gonna be fine. Um, no, they're not, they could be better with a man in the house. You know? Yep, exactly. Well, the first thing I would say is, is we have to, if you're a guardian, if you're a parent, if you have any influence anywhere, which we all do, we have to first live out and then teach personal responsibility again. That's, that's a huge, huge issue. If we don't teach that we will decay even faster. We've already been on a steady decline as societies, um, Western societies anyway, Um, but we will continue to be so. And then we also have to live out convictions, values. We can't just talk about them. We have to live them. And we have to present them to the world in a way which shows them the benefit of living, whether it's a what I would call a set-apart life Um, or what some might just say, living out your values, your convictions. But we have to actually walk the walk. We can't just talk it. 
And for, for many, it's just been a talk. And so, for example, many individuals my age have been driven out of the church or have no faith anymore or have turned to, to Satanism or become Wiccans and witches. So the, the polar opposite of what they grew up with. And it's, it's, it's points to the yearning within people's hearts. Everybody, everybody wants to serve and everybody does serve something already, whether it's an addiction, whether it's, it's, it's a God of, of any sort outside of the God, um, or it's, it's status. There's many things that we already serve, but it's it, what we serve is telling of what our hearts yearn for, the craving within us. And so, so many were driven out of the church or out of faith because there was no room to ask questions. And also, it was inauthentic. It was not the true gospel. And so from my, from my point of view, People need to, if you're a family or an individual, you need to get yourself planted somewhere that actually values the same beliefs or, or has the same convictions as, as you do or that challenges yours. Um, because if we don't live what we say or what we, we say we believe, why would anybody want to partake in what we actually, what we actually do? or don't do. So I would say personal freedom and actually living out what we believe. And also I would say get in, form a community, get, get down to the granular, be a part of the grassroots. Um, I have had many conversations with individuals who aren't gay, um, who have never been presented with my worldview. Never, never growing up never from their parents' mouths, never in university, never in their careers. And so I would also say, speak, speak what you actually believe. Don't be afraid of it. Because in our day and age, even 20 years ago, it wasn't like this, but in our day and age, a lot of people have never been exposed to someone who actually holds true to their values and communicates what those values are, or actually lives out convictions. That's, that's very rare nowadays. So when I had a conversation with a, a gay man who is my age and he went, Oh my gosh, you actually, you actually live what you believe that that's so compelling to me. Mm. And this was two years ago. So I was 23 and he didn't know what to do with that. So he actually started real. He started looking into his background of where, how did I become what I became, because I grew up very similar to Matea, but I'm completely, I'm broken. I mean, I'm a broken person. Don't get me wrong. I sin. I need forgiveness all the time. But this individual went, I. Oh no. Did we lose you? She was on such a roll. Than somebody reading your story. But nonetheless, we have to. Oh, just oh. lost my connection. Can you hear me? You're back. Yeah, we lost okay, there you we go. Sorry about that. Oh, okay. um, but nonetheless, speak what you believe, live what you believe and form that community 
so that you can actually have more impact outside of the four walls of your home. I really um, believe and that. finally, I would just say, get your kids out of public education really? ASAP. Yeah. Please and thank you. <laughs> now, now you, you, there's no excuse for parents um, to keep their children in public education. No excuse. Many, many people come to me with the excuse that, well, I just can't afford to keep them home or stay at home with them. I understand that. But this is dire. If you want to protect your children, if you want to raise responsible adults, get them out of the public education system because they are only being indoctrinated there. Education is nothing compared to what what my parents went through. It's nothing compared to what the former generation was taught. Um, and indoctrination was already coming in like by the droves when your generation, we're a part of different generations, but your generation was taught compared to mine. Thanks for pointing Just going to run that in there, you know, um, <laughs> tradition. But it's it's so essential. If you want to stay, if you want to raise good kids, if you want to shape the future, because that's what parents do. Parents listening to this, you shape the future right now with your children. And so getting them out of that public education system, because they're only taught, taught group think. That's all they're taught. You want to raise critical thinkers who have the same values as you. For example, I am constantly fighting against what the CSE, Comprehensive Sexuality Education, because it's like critical race theory. It's the mm -hmm. same threat because everything undermines what you teach in your home. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's essential. Have, have, a, have a homeschool co-op where it, this is a practical example of how you can actually homeschool. You have three different families in your community where one day a week you stay home to homeschool your child. And then next day, someone else homeschools, stays at home to homeschool. And you do this as a process. You grow and you learn. And there's so much material out there that there's truly no excuse. And this is where we also have to fight for school choice. Because if you had 30 grand a year, $15,000 a year in Canada, to stay at home with your child in order to teach them school as well as shape and mold them. You know what? The other side of the aisle hates that idea, which means that you should be paying very close attention to it as parents, as guardians, and as people who are going to raise the next generation. Wow. What haven't we discussed? That went fast we're there you go it's 122 <laughs> i want to keep you on time i could talk to you for hours and hours and hours but um uh just for the viewers that are watching uh paul layton uh he said uh great question something about the libertarian party um we've got a few viewers here as well um i know a couple things about you um uh -oh. you're much taller in your zoom th videos than you are in real life you are a how tall are you i'm about five three and a half <laughs> i'm small i'm, I'm so small 13 um, inches taller than you and um yeah. tell <laughs> tell me you've got a good man in your life that you're working on making uh better and that you, you have a, a future with someone or are you just too busy for relationships I'm never too busy. This is the lie of my generation. No one's ever too busy for relationships. Um, okay. I have not found the right guy to enter into a relationship with yet. Um, don't get me wrong. There's a lot out there who want to enter into a relationship, but um, 
you know, I pray about every situation um, and that individual has just not appeared yet. So I, I'm waiting. You know what? If there is a man out there who is bold and courageous, has convictions, loves family and uh, and is willing to serve the Lord in a committed relationship. You know what? I I uh, <laughs> I am willing to take that to the Lord. Every yeah. one of them. Wow. So. How uncommon is it to have? You know, I, I was at a funeral for um, a friend of mine's son who, um, whatever, I'm not sure exactly, but he's no longer with us. He was 20, young 20s. Mm. And I was headed to the grave site. Like, this is, you know, one of my best friend's son. And, um, you know, I love this woman. So it was really tough. And we're pulling up to the grave, and I was with a buddy of mine, and I said, you know, I don't know how we're on this, but I said, you know, there's actually, like, good kids that grew up in Christian homes that don't have sex out of marriage, that don't smoke and don't drink and don't uh, don't swear. You know, they, li- they listen to their parents. They respect the law. Like, it's not such a bad thing <laughs> to grow up with Christian values. Mm-hmm. Look at how easily it can go wrong. It's all it's going wrong all all around us. So I would just say that it's so uncommon for and society has created an expectation of young women in the dating scene that well if you wanna if you wanna be liked and you wanna get the guy, then you're gonna you're gonna have to be a certain way. And it's so it's refreshing to hear you say, Wow, you know, if there's a guy out there that's got his, and I will say, um, Twitter uh, marriage proposals don't work on ladies like Mikaya Murda. <laughs> Please, no more proposals. <laughs> Seriously. Marry me is like my favorite tweet when I come across a, a young, strong woman that uh, you know, says things that uh, she should be afraid to say. So uh, I, I appreciate that. I'm glad I asked the question, only, you know, it's none of my business, but, you know, we've had so many conversations, and I mean, this is our purpose, right? This is our purpose to find the opposite sex and spend the rest of our lives together while we make babies and enjoy our grandchildren. And I really believe that so much of the anger today is women that subconsciously miss the connectedness and the meaning in their life because they don't have children. I feel it. I'm 52, never married, never had a I still think, well, you know, it could happen. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it's too late for me. Um, just, you know, and I've been in committed relationships my whole life. It seems like loyal, committed relationships. Just, it didn't work out, and I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. Like, I mean, I am. Uh, <laughs> some would say, Jimmy, like, uh, you know, kind of obsessed with children. I like. I mean, they're everything to me. Their innocence, you know, they're just, I, I just, you know, I'm, my girlfriend's five years old right now. She's the love of my life. She cleans <laughs> my soul every time I'm with her. And I had to tell her the other day, you know what? I really like hanging out with you. I think she said, mm-hmm. why? I said, because hanging out with you makes me feel good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I feel this, you know, and I think that, that's got to be more prevalent for most women if they pass the point of fertility and then, oh, well, yeah. I guess it's not in the cards for me because, you know, Jordan Peterson said the other day, 
you're not you cannot grow up until there's another person in the world that's more important than you and that only happens with a child your own child yeah and then suddenly it's like oh i'm not the you know i'm not the so i'm not the center of the universe anymore they are and yeah. so um yeah i think a lot of us are feeling that loss of connectedness and the meaning in life from having offspring so i don't know mm. well if i can speak to that yeah, absolutely really quick i know i know many men and women who never got married or were married were in a divorce have no children you're not your life is no less significant or your life still has purpose and meaning it, it just because you don't have kids or or a committed relationship does not mean that you decrease in value and i would i would encourage anybody including yourself not to let your your mental space go that direction because if we really believe that value is intrinsic to every human human person and we have dignity no matter what I, I, I see you as my equal. I, I am much younger. I I just hope that you never go down that, that mental space where I'm less valuable or my life is meaningless. Interesting. Because you have a lot to contribute to this world. A lot. And for anybody listening, you have you have breath in your lungs you have the mental ability to absorb information and and encourage and inform the world around you um that's equally as valuable to what i'm doing now and what i'll do in the future so love on the people already in your life because amen sister preach (laughs) that is like the perfect hopeful message to go out with and that's why i love you so much you just um great communicator i'm glad i i'm glad to be the first guy to go geez you're a real teacher aren't you if you've never heard that before because you just come by so much so you know we have our talents and our purposes but there's one that uh is god given so uh thank you for your time i always appreciate our conversations and they're always hopeful i always leave them feeling like i'm a better man for having spoken to you so Thank you for that. Right on. All right. You're a good guy, Jim. Now enough ass kissing. And I will release you from your commitment. And just thank you again. And for the work that you're doing out there, I know that it's sometimes thankless. And uh, But there are many of us that appreciate your work. So good on you. Thank you very much. All God right. bless. We'll talk in a few months again, okay? Absolutely. Right. We'll make it happen. Cheers. Thanks again. Ready. Bye-bye. sign and leave i don't want to make you the host leave for all okay see i'm leaving now for sure okay bye okay (laughs) that's a hard cut right there matea murda wow uh always impressed by that woman um just gifted with the communication skills and really well she's talking about things that many women don't talk about (laughs) are afraid to take a stand on and i think she's promulgating a message that needs to be heard oh it's okay it's gonna be all right you know and uh 
So always grateful for the time that I get to spend with that woman on uh, Zoom. Leighton, what's up? Uh, thank you for your comments. Just scrolling them now. DJ, what's up? Who's this? V VQ Mice Check 40. Oh, you want to want to become famous? I guess you're spam. I don't need to read that. Anyway, uh, welcome aboard DLive, Twitch, Periscope, YouTube, and Facebook. If you want to become a patron, I have a Patreon account, and you should go over and, um, you know, become one. Patreon.com slash free speech is where I'm at, and I have I figured out that I have to actually publish the page to be able to accept donations or contributions or monthly subscriptions. So I did that. Excuse me. And I have two patrons now. Last week I got two patrons. That's pretty it's pretty cool. I wish I could hide the number of patrons because I'm not proud of it, but if you want to be like my third one, you can go hit me up on like patreon.com slash speech. And uh yeah, if you'd like to contribute financially, you can always do it at real estate at teamniagara.ca on PayPal. That's real estate at teamniagara.ca on PayPal. Your contributions are always appreciated. You can find me on the fake book if that's where you're watching now. Hello. On the twatter. Hello, Periscope. On YouTube right now, we're broadcasting as the channel True, T-R-E-W Tube. Two words, True Tube. I also have a Jim Fannin Show page. Uh, that's my fifth and sixth accounts because, well, YouTube I've been not been having very good relations lately. Not cool. I'm also on Gab. What's Gab? <laughs> I don't know. I'm there though. MeWe? What's that? I don't know. I post there sometimes. Instagram? Not so active there, but the Jim Fannin Show does have a page, and so does Jim Fannin. LinkedIn. I think I've got almost four four thousand LinkedIn connections. TikTok, I think I have two followers maybe. I put a TikTok up every once in a while, but I can't go to TikTok because every time I go there, I'm gone. I, like I, I, I fall down the TikTok um, black hole for hours and hours and hours. Sometimes it turns into days and weeks and months, and that's just not healthy. I'm on Parler. <laughs> Parler's back. Don't post there a whole bunch. I got an invite to Clubhouse. Clubhouse? Oh, okay. I'm there. What's Signal? Uh, I'm there. <laughs> That's a lot of accounts. Here's where you find Matea Murder. Murder. Murta. Matea Murta. Here's her uh, resume. Oh, she writes for the Post Millennial. I forget to, uh, I forget to say that earlier you can find her here on the fake book and then you can find her at matea murda on the tweeter all right i'm getting out of here thanks uh thank you paul 
I, th- I always enjoy co- uh, my conversation with Matea. Uh, DJ, thank you for your comments, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Peace. Love. Go hug your neighbor. They haven't seen you in a long time. Drop your digits on them and just say, hey, I've been thinking about you. If there's anything you need, I'm right across the street. Here's my number. You can call me anytime and give them a hug. Give them some love. Give them a hug. But before you do that, please, I'm begging you. Take that filthy diaper off of your breathing apparatus. It's poisoning you. (laughs) I know. I know. Spreading medical misinformation again. Well, that's what we do here. I'm out.